We do focus on God a whole lot here. We believe that without a relationship with our God, life, wow, it's really hard to live. We also know that life is difficult and that we have an amazing God who cares a whole lot about each one of us. And so we start off our service just giving thanks to God and praising God for who He is and what He's done and how He's made all these things. We have an amazing, amazing God. You know, this morning, if you've not been with us, we end our short mini-series called Surprise Your World. I will need to review just a little bit. But honestly, if you have not been able to, well, hear the first two messages in this series, I encourage you to go back and get those podcasts. It will help you put all this in perspective. But over these last three weeks, we've been focusing on God's mission to us. And to be quite honest, I think it's pretty special that the Almighty God, the Creator God, the God that spoke this world into existence, has a plan, and His plan is given to you and to me. And the plan actually is very simple. He said, go into all the world and preach the good news to everybody. Well, if we look at that, it's an amazing privilege. It's a great plan. Well, for one thing, it came from God. But we actually cower at the thought. There are many good reasons why we're not preachers, or why we don't share good news, or why our world might not be aware of how wonderful our God actually is. Relax. I'm not here to badger you. I want to literally encourage you. I'd like to redefine for you what evangelism looks like and crystallize God's assignment for you and for me. The book Surprise Your World has been foundational in this series. Mike Frost, the author, is an Australian who suggests that Jesus followers develop five missional habits. Rhythms designed to propel us outward beyond ourselves into the lives of others. Rhythms where your life surprises your world and draws people to the King. Let's pray. Fathers, we open up your word today, and as we focus on really the news that changed so many of us, maybe everybody in this room, We came to a spot one day, Lord, where we recognized that we were separated from you and that we no longer had a relationship with you. It was spoiled, but that you loved us and desired to have a relationship. So God, you sent your son to die in our place, to shed his blood so that we might be redeemed and restored And we could enjoy life, enjoy your presence, enjoy, well, heaven assignments given by you. We are so grateful, God, in some ways overwhelmed by the task. We look at ourselves and we do see all the shortcomings. We recognize, Lord, that we're not as faithful as we'd like to be. We realize, Lord, that there's a hurting world. And we don't know if we're going to have right words or right actions. So there's times we get intimidated and times we actually listen to the enemy's lies. And we pray even today, Father, that you would help us hear from you, that your Holy Spirit would be so abundantly active and that he would convict or encourage or strengthen. We pray, dear Lord, that you would be able to get through to us today and would give us strength 
for today and wisdom for tomorrow. Lord, we thank you for all that you've given us and we want to bring glory to your name. We also, Father, pray for the multitude of other churches, many who have already met, many who are meeting right now, many who will meet later this day, but all for one purpose, and that is to praise your name. We thank you for the multitudes that you have brought to yourself and for the churches that understand the gospel and teach it clearly. Would your kingdom come, Father? Would you reveal yourself to us and to our world? We pray all these things in your Son's name. Amen. You know, a healthy Christian is a growing Christian, and he or she grows relationship or relationally in three areas. He grows in his relationship with God, that's an up. He grows in his relationship with other believers within the church, and that's in. And grows in relationships with neighbors, those who are outside the church, and that's out. Up is a primary focus as it fuels both the in and the out. We usually focus on one. Believers are often good at really doing one of these, up, in, or out. Sometimes we hit the ball in two areas, but very seldom do we actually do all three of these well. Jesus lived a perfect up, in, and out life and asked his disciples literally to do the same. But before I go further, it's important again to understand what the Bible has to say about evangelism. The scriptures point to a twofold approach to the ministry of evangelism or sharing good news or giving forth the gospel. All of that meaning the same thing. Some believers are evangelists. Actually, they're gifts to the local church. And we find that out in Ephesians 4. That every church will have those who literally are able to proclaim the good news boldly and have response. Everyone else is expected to be evangelistic in their orientation. The Apostle Paul tells Timothy, one of his young comrades, and he said, do the work of an evangelist. In other words, make sure that you do talk about Jesus and the good news although you may not get the response that an evangelist will have. So evangelists boldly proclaim while all other believers live questionable lives, lives that people wonder about, lives that cause others to ask questions. We find that in Colossians chapter 4 and 1 Peter chapter 3. In brief, our lives are ought to naturally surprise the world. BELLS is an acronym for practical missional habits, life habits that God will use to help us reveal to our world who He is and how He operates. We've covered three habits so far. We've covered bless and eat and listen. We're going to talk more about those when we put everything together. But right now, we're going to jump right into habit four. And habit four is learn. And what this habit says is this. I will spend at least one period of the week learning Christ. Learning Christ? Where does that phrase come from? Well, learning Christ actually was a common expression among the earliest Christians, those in the first century. When someone got saved in the first century, they were involved in a few things. First of all, the church would gather them around and they would publicly deny the pagan gods that had influenced them all of their lives. 
And they entered a period of catechism, over learning, where one committed oneself to an intensive study of the person and the work of Jesus. Today, I am promoting a preoccupation with Jesus. We can learn from his teaching and example. I am a little bit concerned that some of us just really know some of Christ's greatest hits. We know about his birth. We know about his death, his resurrection, maybe a few miracles and a couple parables. But sometimes we don't dig in. We don't understand who Jesus is. But God took on flesh and dwelt among us in Jesus. We just finished the Gospel of John, and we spent some time in John chapter 1, where in verse 14, John writes that Jesus became flesh. He modeled for us what it means to literally dwell among a lost world. You know, as I've been chatting with some of you, you've been cringing at the word lost world. And again, not even trying to judge, but, but Rick, that sounds so harsh. Lost world, really? Well, actually, the scriptures are real clear is that if someone doesn't know Jesus, they need to be rescued. They are lost. If they were to die, they would spend eternity separated from God. It's a big deal. It is. God so loved the world, and God did send His Son, and God desires that everyone believes in His Son so that they might have Life, life now and eternal. Those are amazing promises. But if they don't, the alternative is separation from God. We need to learn Christ simply because He shows us how to live. He does. Here's some scriptures, and you can follow along with me up on the screen. But in 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Now, Rick, as we read these verses, are you literally going to say that we are supposed to live our lives like Jesus? No, actually, I'm not going to say that. The Bible's saying that. All right. All I am doing is repeating what the Holy Scriptures are telling us. In Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 20 and 21. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, and if you'd read the rest of that text, basically act the way that Jesus acts. Say, oh Rick, I'm just kind of a normal person. That would be kind of hard to forgive people like Jesus forgave people, to love people like Jesus loved people, to be patient with people that the way that Jesus was patient. But it goes on. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, you must have the same attitude. You must think the same way that Jesus Christ thinks. And then what the Apostle Paul does in verses 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 in that text, he basically says, this is how Jesus acts. I want you to be humble. I want you to think others greater than yourself. And you start thinking like, okay, (laughs) I don't even know how you did that, Jesus, but I don't know how I am going to do this. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He's your example, and you must follow in his steps. Well, God, I, I like comfort. Realistically, Jesus suffered. He was literally killed for the message that he brought. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, (laughs) imitate God. 
we can stop right there. These expectations are way too much. They are. But this is what God's doing in our lives. Imitate God. Therefore, in everything you do, because you are His dear children, live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. And then Romans 8, 28. Most, uh, most of us know Romans 8, 28. But in Romans 8, 29, this is what Paul writes. For God knew His people in advance, and He chose them to become like His Son, so that His Son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Actually, Paul tells us exactly what God's motive is. God's motive is to literally chip all the things away from every one of his kids that don't reflect God well. Chip them away. So that when you walk into the room, you literally, literally start to mirror Jesus to others. Oh, boy. Jesus teaches us well. Whatever your learning bent is, he illustrates and then he ignites us. Now let me say this. I am not saying that we just stay in the Gospels. But I do think that the Gospels always need to be a focus of every one of us. Here's a couple suggestions. First of all, study the Gospels. In addition to anything else you study... You know, one of the things that I've encouraged each one of you to do is to pick up one of the discipleship journal reading plans. And again, you can go on any of the online reading plans and look for the discipleship journal one, but we've printed these out. They're out in our lobby, and we encourage you to read through the scriptures every year. And one of the things, or one of the reasons I really like this plan is because there's always a gospel included. There is. And you can read through the scriptures any way that you wish, but one of the areas that I think I need to be reminded about every single day is who is Jesus, what did he do, how did he respond, how did he act? And a plan like this helps me remember and focus on Jesus. It doesn't mean you don't study other things. It doesn't. But this is one of the things one of our spur groups do. And I encourage you to get along with other guys or other ladies and be able to read through the Scriptures and just simply ask this question, how is God, how is your perspective perspective of God changing? What are some things that God is convicting you about? What are some areas you're not obeying? What can we learn as we read through these scriptures. But we can learn from Jesus. In fact, one of the things over the years that I do when I read the Gospels is when something that Jesus does sticks out and says, wow, that's odd. Why would you do that, Jesus? And you look a little deeper. And sometimes you get an answer, and sometimes you don't get an answer. But oftentimes, if I know what God is doing is chipping away my pride and chipping away my arrogance and chipping away my self-focus so that I'm going to look like Jesus more and more as I spend time with Jesus. The other thing, and we justify this all the time, listen to Him. Oftentimes we'll say, well, Really, Jesus meant this. And it was talked about in the first century. So when he says, pray for your enemies and love your enemies, you know what, Rick, today, you know, it sounds a little bit different. It just means, and we try to justify. Actually, what Jesus was saying is, pray for your enemies and love your enemies. That's actually what he was saying. We'll say, if I did that, and we look through, I don't know if I'd have courage to do that. 
I mean, my enemies are my enemies for a good reason. Yeah, I, I guess so. I also think that we need to read about Jesus. Now, the primary place to read about Jesus, of course, is in the Scripture. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Colossians chapter 1. But I love this. Paul is writing to a church at Colossae, and he begins just talking about Jesus. And you can read these passages, but in, in Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 15, this is what Paul writes. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see. He made the things we can't see, such as thrones and kingdoms and rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else. And he holds all of creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he's the first in everything. For God in his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, through Jesus, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by the means of Christ's blood on the cross. I also encourage you to read books about Jesus. One of my favorites is by Tim Keller's called Jesus the King. And again, these are books. These aren't the Bible. But what's so interesting is to be able to read other people's perspective of who Jesus is, how Jesus has transformed their lives, and the scriptures they use to be able to talk about Jesus. You know what I've learned? We can prod you to talk about Jesus all we want. We can. But when a person captivates you, you talk about him or her. For me, back in high school, this is going to really date me, it was Mark Spitz. Now, this basically is BP, before Phelps, okay? But Mark Spitz, in 1972 Munich Olympics, he set seven world records and literally got seven gold medals. Now, I was a swimmer. I was not Mark Spitz. But you talk about Mark Spitz. What did he eat? How did he train? What did he do? In fact, you look at that mustache. I have only had a mustache once in my life. I am letting you know. And it was for my senior picture. Because <laughs> I wanted to look like Mark Spitz. We both had pretty pathetic mustaches. I'm letting you know. But the odd thing happens when you let Jesus captivate you. You talk to others about your hero, your friend, your king with energy and enthusiasm, with reverence and awe, with delight and wonder. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 28 and 29, Paul writes this, So we tell others about Christ. Period. We talk about Jesus to everybody. Everybody. Warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom God has given us. We want to present them to God, mature in their relationship with Christ. We know what that means. That's why I work and I struggle so hard, depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. Paul literally says this, I want to keep telling people about Jesus. It changed my life. They will mature. They will experience things they could not experience without Jesus. You know, one of the disciplines that I had in high school 
We didn't have these habits back then, remember? The book wasn't written. But one of the disciplines I had in high school was this, is that I wanted to share the good news with somebody different every single day of high school. Now, that doesn't mean I did that, but that was my goal. I went to a rather large high school. There were 4,000 kids there, so I had plenty of kids to talk to. But lunchtime was an exceptionally good time when you would be able to go to different tables and different scenarios, be able to check in with different people. And the truth is, oftentimes I never even got to the gospel because it took you two or three or four times of eating with somebody. But it was something to be able to share the good news and have somebody finally come to a place in their life where they saw the light. It was so cool. You know, I was really sad this week. I got a text from somebody. It was a text that basically said, I'm giving up on Jesus. Now, there were other things in the text, but, but the crux of it was, I, I, I don't think I want to try anymore. I don't really think he's the one. And it just made me sad. Because for some reason, this person was just blinded, maybe for a little bit. But he's amazing. I'd like to have Mike Frost kind of wrap up what this learn habit looks like. Let's watch. By the teaching and the life, an example of Jesus. And I just don't think there's any excuse for us saying that we want to be missional getting out in the world and, and blessing people and eating with them, building relationship with them, if we don't actually have the shape of Jesus as the one we're trying to live into. So if you read the Gospels over and over and over, you become increasingly shaped by his teaching and by his example. I want you to know the Gospels. Marinate your soul in the Gospels. Don't just know Jesus' greatest hits. Don't just know Christmas, Easter, a couple of miracles, a couple of parables. I want you to know everything that he said and everything that he did, and I want you to be shaped by him. So I want you to read the Gospels over and over and over. I want you to read them out loud. I want you to read them devotionally. I want you to use Bible reading material to study the Gospels. I want you to sit with, with Christ and Christ alone and simply enter into the story. Why is that important? Because if you're blessing people and eating with them, you're engaging meaningfully with them, I want you to talk about Jesus. I don't just want you to talk about how they're sinners and how Christ died for them. That's true, and that may come up. But for the most part, I want you to be able to speak about this man that you love, who shapes you, who you want to be more and more like. Let me give you a weird example to illustrate this. I've got a friend who's a Trotskyite, and a serious one. He reads Trotsky over and over and over. Uh, he was a, a Russian Bolshevik, a, a Marxist. Uh, this mate of mine reads him, is immersed in him. He can quote him like that. Like we'll be having a conversation socially and be like, oh, well, actually, that reminds me of something Trotsky said. In fact, in casual conversation, we're chatting about something he'll regularly say, well, why would we be surprised about this? Trotsky said, and he can quote him. Or Trotsky once was doing so, he can tell a story about him. Now, that's Trotsky. <laughs> and I think to myself, if this guy can be so shaped by Trotsky that he can quote him, he can tell stories about him, he can drop him into conversation, you know, I question why can't Christians quote Jesus the way my mate can, can quote Trotsky? Why, why can't Christians like literally quote Jesus word for word? Why can't we regularly tell stories about Jesus? Why is it only just conversations about how you're a sinner and Jesus died for you as distinct from, hey, he's my friend, he's my... He's my hero. He's my savior. He's everything I want to be more like. I'm shaping myself around the person of Jesus. Well, how can you do that? How can you answer the question, what would Jesus do, unless you're immersed in Jesus? Let's look at habit five for just a little bit. Habit five is scent. 
I will journal throughout the week all the ways I alerted others to God's kingdom, God's reign, God's rule. You see, the kingdom of God is here. And God reigns now, and it will culminate when Jesus returns. But we live in this in-between time. We have a chance to literally model for others what the kingdom looks like under God's authority. I love using the word kingdom patriot. But kingdom patriots are those that live underneath God's rule. And kingdom patriots are those that treat others differently than everyone else in the world. Kingdom patriots spend their time differently. Kingdom patriots manage their resources differently. In fact, the way that I put it, these are things that will stick out so much to your friends that you will surprise the world. The very special world that God has put you in. That neighborhood, the place that you work, the grocery store that you go to, all those things. The way that our author put it in the book is that our lives could actually be like a movie trailer. Now, you've all been to a show when you come a little bit early or even late because they show a lot of trailers. And you watch this trailer over and over. And at the end of the trailers, you basically say, you know what, I'd like to go see that movie. Or you know what, I don't want to see that movie. Like, what's that all about? But trailers are tasters. A good trailer will make you want to see a movie. And actually, I think this is a great metaphor for the church. If we live our lives well, people will want to be part of well, the kingdom, God's world, a world where God reigns. Well, some of you may say, well, what do you journal? Well, I have to be honest with you. As I grew up, journaling was really called diary. And diary was, no way I'm going to do that. That's not for me. But you know what I found out is that oftentimes you forget if you don't write it down. Now, I struggle here. I do. But this is an area especially your pastor needs to grow in. You see, you can start writing down conversations or actions that alerted others to God's kingdom. You identify the ways that you mirrored God's work of justice or reconciliation or beauty or wholeness in this world. It might be a simple conversation where you use the word God rather than Mother Nature. It was unbelievable early this morning if you woke up before all the fog set in. That full moon was beautiful. And to think that Mother Nature had something to do with this. It might be the way that you stuck up for an underdog or an under-resourced person. It could be the way that you blessed or graced others. I need to tell you a story, and I won't tell you his real name, but every Sunday morning, a majority of the time, I'll stop at a mobile station on Ela Road and Rand Road on the way to church. It's called Bucky's, so I'm just going to call it my friend Bucky. And I usually arrive in there between 5 o'clock in the morning or 5.15 in the morning, and usually nobody's around. And I pull into the gas station, and there's Bucky with his arms like this. Whoa! How you doing there, buddy? I'm pretty good, Bucky. How are you today? And we had this conversation. Last Sunday, Bucky goes, says this. Hey, what do you do? I said, well, actually, I'm a pastor, and I get to tell people about Jesus. And he goes, all of a sudden, his language stopped. All of a sudden, everything happened. And he goes, oh, I know about Jesus. I 
said, that's good. That's good. And we started talking. He goes, you know, I knew something was different about you. You're way too happy. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you. That sounds good. And anyway, other people started coming in, and he left last week, and, or I left last week, and I pulled in today. But today, I had a card, a Starbucks card, a track, my card, and an invitation to Crosspoint. And I, like clockwork, I filled up with gas, and old Bucky comes over. Well, hey, Pastor, how you doing? And I says, I'm doing well. How's your week? And he goes, I got a new job. I said, are you kidding me? And he told me about it. It's up in this area. He actually lives off 120, and we're starting to chat through this. And honestly, I got so excited. And I says, you know what, Bucky? I'm so glad that you're here this early in the morning. You're brightening up my day. But I'd like to give you a card, because I notice you've been drinking this coffee, and this coffee is not so good. He goes, yeah, I know. I really like a good cup of coffee. And I said, well, hey, here's a Starbucks card for you, too. And I left. Now, I don't actually know when he's going to actually start his new job. But the truth is, is that I had an opportunity to be able to bless someone at 5, 5.15 in the morning. Another thing, it, it was so unique. Yesterday, um, my wife had an opportunity. She's been retired from Wheeling High School. And at Wheeling High School, she was, one, uh, she was a division assistant and in the English department for 15 years. And I'm telling you, I went to more wheeling parties during that time and more wheeling weddings and more wheeling everything, you know, because my wife was connected. Well, she invited all of her wheeling friends over for a breakfast yesterday or a brunch. We had 22 ladies in our household. I'm really sure she didn't preach. I'm really sure that she ate with them, got in people's lives, heard about their lives, and loved them well. She basically blessed these people. So what do you write down? You write down things like this in your journal. Because sometimes you just plain forget that you really are a sent one. For example, some of you may not see that healing your patients or teaching your students or parenting or making a beautiful bookshelf are ways that mirror God's work in our world. We are sent ones, and we become better aware of this assignment by writing it down. Some of you like using digital. Some of you like using composition books. Some of you get really fancy leather ones, and it looks really nice, but that's okay. Write it down. Without stopping to journal, we will miss out. We really are sent ones. We are. But for the last few minutes, what I'd like to do is really get practical. We've talked about bless and eat and listen and learn and send. But how long does it actually take to form a habit? Now, there's a lot of studies out there, but the best I can come up with is 66 days. Are you serious, Rick? 66, well, I'm really sharp. I can develop habits in three days. Well, good. God bless you. But the truth is, it takes some repetition to do this. It really does. For months, we've been talking about better together. Being part of a group where you struggle well with life together with other folks. We've talked about ministry groups and study groups and life groups. But life groups are all different. They're all getting together with other believers for different purposes. They are. But I love what Frost recommends here, mostly because it's organic. He suggests that you form a DNA group. Okay, 
What's a DNA group? A DNA group is a discipleship, a nurture, and accountability group. It's a micro group of people, probably three triads that meet weekly. It was so interesting this past season. I've been meeting with a couple of the guys who are working in our men's ministry, serving our men. And they've been listening to God and saying, hey, what are we going to do this fall? Well, one of the things, yes, they're going to keep a Bible study, and yes, they're going to continue with the uh, brobecue and other very essential things. But one of the things that they mentioned was, you know what? Maybe we're going to start establishing some things called some triads. Some things where a few of us guys can meet every week and have some accountability. And I'm, my jaw is dropping at this moment. Because although ladies do this a little bit better, I'm just going to compliment you, guys don't need anybody. Have you noticed that? They're tough, they're independent, and they don't like being vulnerable. How cool it would be for a few guys to come together in this DNA group where you start helping people walk with Jesus better. That there's some kind of accountability. That there is a, well, and what he says is that this group just focus on habits. Hey, what are some ways that you blessed others this week? Who did you eat with? Did you spend some time listening to God? Are you learning about Jesus? Did you do your journal, your diary, whatever? You know, I think this is a great idea, and I think we can help. Isn't that what Home Depot is? It's a great idea, and we can help. Let's look at bells. Let's look at this. I've shared with you that listen and learn are critical. Because intimacy with God sets us up well as sent ones. We do need to learn about Jesus and listen to Jesus. Hear his words. And we do need quiet times to be able to allow the Holy Spirit to convict us and to encourage us. I am pretty sure you can't walk with God. You can't have a relationship with God, an intimate relationship, and be unkind, ungracious, complaining, demanding, basically a pain in the rear. When you walk into a room, do the people in the room say, Ha, I want to go talk to you. I love being around you. You're so gracious with your words. You're so kind to me. I always leave feeling better. Or when you walk in the room, all of a sudden it's like light with roaches. Whoa! And you're standing there. Maybe it's because You're caustic. You're complaining. You're sarcastic. You're demeaning. Oh, Rick, uh, I'm not all those. Probably we're not all those things at one time. But you know what I love is to spend time, especially with older people, and I've shared this with you, that have spent a whole lifetime walking with Jesus. And they know what to say and how to encourage you and how to walk with you on the path instead of getting grumpier or caustic. My question is this. Would you commit yourself to these disciplines for two months. No, no, Rick, I'm not an evangelist. Remember, I'm not asking you to be. What I'm asking you to do is over these next three or two months that you would bless three people a week. You would bless someone who is of the faith. You would bless someone who isn't of the faith. And then a third one, whatever God brings to you. 
Maybe someone who's checking you, uh, check, not checking you out, checking your food. Oh, boy. Um, you're in line at Jewel, and you're buying some food. Okay, okay, you get it. Eat. We all have 21 meals. We all can grab a cup of coffee. You know, how wonderful would it be? Three times this next week, you eat with somebody. Someone of the faith, someone not of the faith, and someone whoever God brings to you. You know, for a pastor, sometimes I can just hang out with those who are redeemed. No problem. It takes me a lot of work to be able to be in someone's life who doesn't know Jesus. But God's asked me to do that. Would you spend at least one time over the next two months, every week, listening to God? Would you be able to spend some time in silence and solitude and maybe even grow that? Would you spend one time this week learning Christ? Really digging in, maybe just focusing on a gospel. And would you sometime, and maybe you have to do it every night because your memory's bad. Maybe there's a certain time each week. But write down, Lord, I had the opportunity to bless, be this morning. And you put the name in. Oh, I wonder. I wonder. What would happen to Fox Lake if we did this? I wonder if some people eventually would come to faith. I wonder just because they hang out with you and you are reflecting Jesus better and better, they're just saying, I want that. I've seen him walk through cancer treatments. I don't get it. I saw him lose his job. Do you know how he responded? I see how she deals with migraines two or three weeks at a time. How does that work? You see, nobody's perfect. But if you are doing these things, propelling yourselves out into our world, people are going to see a difference. It will take some time. Maybe you need to form some DNA groups. Maybe you do it yourself, or maybe you need help. But these habits will propel us into the world. We will have opportunities to mirror God and surprise the world. We will take the culture on. Because our priorities, our time, the way we treat people will will be so different. Because we're hanging out with Jesus. It's not going to be better because we're really swell people. It's going to be better because we are reflecting Jesus. In conclusion, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. Paul writes this. He says, So, my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord. For you know that nothing you do for the Lord ever is useless. You taking a cup of coffee to someone down the block is never useless. The impact that we can have Because we're living among friends. You've heard me say, we're never going to say, oh, okay, I'm going to be your friend so you can come into the kingdom. 
you know what? Every one of you know people that you are close to, I think, that you love very, very much, and he may never come into the kingdom. But I hope those are the people that say, I love being around you. You see, changing the world one interaction at a time. It's a cross-point army surprising their worlds, pumping their tires. You know, if any of you would be in my office and you look on my shelves, uh, there's some books, but more than that, there's a bunch of crud. And it's crud that I've just, well, kept over the years. And at my 60th birthday... I had a bunch of guys come over. And they gave me um, presents, different ones. One of my most cherished gifts. And it says, thanks for pumping our tires. I knew this young man for 25 years. I met him as a high school junior. Not everybody would give me this, I know. But I'd like that. I'd love my reputation to be more like Jesus. And I'd love your reputation to be more like Jesus. And we can. As you know, we don't do a lot of these kind of series. But this Practical words of advice just wouldn't go away. I think for such a time as this, we are asking God to do a work. To maybe have baptisms every month because two or three or four people are coming to faith. Because we get to talk about Jesus and be able to share with them how amazing our God is and that we have a relationship. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you again for being patient. Lord, we don't need any fancy programs. I know that. But there's something about just a plan to realize how sent we are, to realize, Lord, that you're chipping away all the garbage so that we might be able to well, represent you well, to be your ambassador. You're not here. We are. Thank you for trusting us. Thank you for the assignment. Thank you, Jesus, that you saved us. Would we be faithful? In Jesus' name, amen.